America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... the Oscar to... goes to... my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your... I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, kid. All real, man. Love is... is love. Too weak a word. Stay Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Nomadland. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 242 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. Time of recording is 3.16 p.m. on May 9th, 2021. Here to join me today on this special Mother's Day episode is not a mother, it's Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And once again, want to reiterate a happy Mother's Day to all out there that are listening today. Yes, happy Mother's Day. We appreciate all the mothers out there. And uh, it's just me and Josh today. Um, I just got back from my sister's wedding this weekend, which was a lot of fun. First time that I've had a large group gathering event since the pandemic. Everyone there was fully vaxxed, masked up. It was a really, really great time. And I got some. I got a chance to spend some time with the family over the weekend, which was uh, lovely, considering that I haven't had too many weekends like that over the last year. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing okay. You know, it's been a mostly quiet weekend, but after the very tumultuous Oscar season we just went through, I'm sort of glad to have a little bit of rest right now. Yeah, I definitely understand that. I feel that. It's been a little awkward, this transitional phase, you know, when you're going from watching some of the best films of the year to movies that are in the dumping ground period for the studios. You know that they don't really have any confidence in them from an awards standpoint. Plus, the big blockbusters have not necessarily started rolling out just yet. So those films, though, are starting their screenings in person. And we will start to be getting those slowly over the upcoming weeks. We have movies like Cruella. Quiet Place Part 2, Spiral from the Book of Saw. It's it's going to be exciting. I, I'm looking forward to it. Even if they're not necessarily Oscar contenders, there's something to be said for that big theatrical screen experience, which uh, we're all going to slowly start transitioning back into again. Yeah, I am very much looking forward to being back in a theater watching these movies again. Do you have anything currently lined up right now? or? Um... You know what? I do know that probably like the minute I hit my two weeks, I'm just going to go to the show and see something. I don't even care if it's a bad movie I've already seen. I just want to be in that space again. Yeah, I don't blame you for that whatsoever. I might even just go and see stuff that I never got a chance to see on a big screen that might be replaying necessarily. So if somebody is showing Tenet or if they're showing Mank, especially if Mank is projected anywhere, I'm probably going to definitely go and check that out. I, I overheard 
uh, that there were some screenings of that happening actually here in New York City, so I might have to make some time for that. But yeah, no, it's a very, very exciting time in that regard, even though if people think that right now this is kind of the come down period where it isn't really exciting, uh, there is something to still be excited about in that regard. So all well and good. Josh, I'm going to kick it off to you this week by asking, what did you watch? I know that, you know, we just got through talking about movies that are going to be seen again in screening rooms or in big crowded movie theaters. Well, hopefully not too, too crowded. But is there anything that you've been watching at home over the last week? So most of my time has actually been spent rewatching all of the Saw movies in the lead up to Spiral that's just coming out. Um, I have to be honest that I'm kind of a closet fan of those movies. They're not great, but I do kind of get some enjoyment out of them. And it was nice to revisit them. Some are better than others for sure. But I kind of I, I do find myself liking some elements in all of those movies for the most part. So that was fun to catch up with all those movies. Yeah, I got to admit, like for myself, I've only ever really enjoyed the first one. Everything else after that has been moments that I've enjoyed, but not anything as a whole. I think maybe the extent of my enjoyment probably uh, <laughs> went to uh, what's that YouTube channel where uh, that guy does like that hilarious commentary with his friends. Oh, oh uh, is it pretty much it? Yeah, that's the one pretty much it. Yeah, yeah th those guys are hilarious. If you ever get a chance to listen to them, I watched them talk about all of the Saw movies in a single sitting. And oh, my God, it, it just it gave me new life to listen to them. Just go through that truly horrific experience in multiple ways. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I would never argue that these are great movies. And if you're not a little bit invested in them, I would never say you should seek them out. But I've actually been watching this series from the very beginning, and I feel kind of invested in them. So I've been actually been hearing some good things about the new one, too. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I have a screening for that this week, actually, which I'm very much looking forward to simply because of the fact that it's a reimagining a reboot. It's it's something fresh. You know, I don't want I don't want to misclassify it. I don't really know exactly what it is. If it's like a sequel, a prequel, I'm not I'm not sure. Doesn't matter. All that matters is that it's not the same as the others, even though it takes place within the same universe. And I'm looking forward to seeing how they change things up. Yeah, I am definitely looking forward to seeing what this new one is going to be. Uh, but outside of those movies, the only other newer release that I want to mention that I saw is the movie Monster that just came out. Oh, yes. A movie that I saw eons ago back in 2018. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you liked this movie, didn't you, Matt? I liked it with reservations. I... I, I remember when I walked out of the screening, I had like kind of that high because I thought Kelvin Harrison Jr.'s performance was really affecting. And I do remember that the movie had me in total suspense as to what the verdict of his case was going to be at the trial. So I really appreciated the movie had me in a position where I literally had no idea how it was going to end. Uh, but... It was one of those movies that kind of faded away from my memory outside of that since then and didn't really have a lasting impression on me. Yeah, I was a little bit mixed on this movie. I agree with you that I think Kelvin Harrison Jr., great. I mean, we always expect that from him. He's a great actor. I really love his performance in this film. He's really good. I think the film surrounding him, I was a little bit more frustrated with. It's 
the way that it decides to tackle this story and a lot of these themes, I found to be kind of blunt and didn't really have a lot of nuance and even sort of clashed a lot in terms of the actual storytelling mechanics that didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And I found myself like appreciating what it was trying to say, but I didn't really feel like it was executed all that well, in my opinion. So it's, there's some good things in it, but overall I kind of found myself feeling like it was lacking a lot of substance to be really effective. Yeah, no, I understand that. I think that's what it would have given it more of that emotional staying power. Cause like I said, I saw this movie years ago at this point and in the moment, I think it did its job well, but since then I haven't really thought much about it other than the rise of Kelvin Harrison jr, <laughs> which it's been just amazing to watch him, you know, with waves and loose and this and other bits, bit parts here and there, uh, just continuing this really, really astounding career where right now he can't do any wrong. Yeah, I mean, he is the reason to see it if you're going to check it out at all. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is also really good in it, too. I thought that he was actually the best of the supporting players. But even most of the other cast members, I think, are kind of forgettable. And what's also interesting to me is John David Washington is in this movie in a small role. And I have a feeling like in 2018, when this movie was first shown, that would not have been a distracting bit of casting. But now it really stands out. And I kind of feel like he is very out of place in that movie, which is sort of funny to think that probably didn't feel that way three years ago. Yeah, I bet you when I saw it probably back in 2018, I had absolutely no idea to the point where it probably had zero impact on me. Yeah, I mean, it would have been before Black Klansman. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to rewatch it again, though, and see if it's a little bit different, like you're saying. And But otherwise, at the time, I, like, once again, no impact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, for myself this week, I had a bit of a light week overall, but some some things here and there. Um, I got to catch up with uh, Limbo. Mm. which is a movie that uh, has been around uh, for a little bit and is not to be confused with the Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu 2 film, which might get a title change. We don't know yet later on this year. Uh, but this was a film that really, I got to admit, it just wasn't my style in terms of it's like offbeat uh, comedy. And I really, really appreciate what the film was trying to say. And I really did like some of the performances and the way that it was shot was also very impressive. But I don't know if it's just that kind of humor or the way that it just presented its story. Just something about it just didn't click for me. Uh, but I do know a lot of people who really, really like this film a lot. And it's something that um, I, I, you know, I recommend that people do check out uh, for their own curiosity. Uh, suffice to say, it is definitely not a conventional film. Mm. I also watched Here Today with Billy Crystal and Tiffany Haddish, which I, man, I, 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 at first on the surface, I was thinking, okay, like this is fine. The chemistry between Haddish and Crystal is there. They're doing their usual shtick. And from a light comedy platonic relationship movie standpoint, I was, you know, totally into it. But then the movie just kind of goes on and on and on. It's way too long. It's almost two hours long. This is like a rom-com type of film that should have been like 88 minutes long. And there were some directorial choices by Billy Crystal that 
completely sink the movie, in my opinion. And had he just starred in it and maybe written it too, fine. But gotten someone else to direct it, I think it could have been a lot better. Uh, but there's just some stuff in here that made it a completely forgettable film and not something uh, worth checking out, in my opinion. Uh, I also saw a small movie called Silo, which was a true story uh, that, once again, it's like there's not much meat here in terms of the story that they're trying to tell, uh, but I think it would have been very effective as a short. I did really like this um, orange filter that they applied to the look of the film that kind of give it this... Um, uh, what like you know this very warm uh look to it. It it, it felt different in that regard because it didn't look like other movies. But the minute they start introducing like all these additional characters to try and pad out the runtime, it's where the movie starts like falling into drama cliche one hundred one, and nothing about it was interesting outside of um this true survivalist rescue story that they're trying to show here. And I also watched. Wrath of Man, mm. the latest film from Guy Ritchie starring Jason Statham, and I really do not understand what everybody is smoking with this movie. I don't get it. Everyone seems to really like this movie, and I feel like I saw something completely different. Have you seen it yet, Josh? I have not seen it yet. That might be one of the ones I go out to the theater to see once I hit my two weeks. Um, You know, Guy Ritchie is very hit or miss for me i think that sometimes he can be really fun and other times it's like torture trying to watch his stuff and i i'm kind of looking at this with reserved expectations i did really like his last movie the gentleman but me too yeah even still like he can be very up and down in terms of his filmography the general consensus i seem to be getting with this one is that people who do not like guy Ritchie are really liking this one because the movie is very much it doesn't feel like a Guy Ritchie movie. <laughs> hmm. A lot of his usual trademark style uh, choices are not present in this. And for me, that didn't work because then it just feels like any other conventional action film that could have been made by anybody. Yeah, that's a shame. But but then again, I went in with high expectations because I really did like The Gentleman and I was hoping that this was going to be a bit of a continuation of his streak that he started with that and instead it was a stylistic departure. But like I said, for others, it really, really worked for me. This one didn't. And I did see another movie, which I'm not allowed to talk about yet necessarily, but it has to do with someone staring through a piece of glass. Mm. That's all I got to say about that. And I bet somebody who's been doing that for a very long time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yes. A long time indeed. Yeah. Maybe even had to change uh, some studios to keep looking through that glass. <laughs> You know, that that glass is dirty. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of obstructed views. Some cracks. There's a lot going on there. Mm. A lot going on. A lot to discuss in the days ahead. All right, but our main conversation this week, Josh, what the hell is going on with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association? Holy crap. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about with this one. Hey everyone, I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes sir, talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, 
and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Basically, what we know was that there was pressure put on the Hollywood Foreign Press Association due to a lot of stories that exposed things that admittedly wasn't new information. We've known for a very long time that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association has been a very scandalous organization for a very long time, but to use a phrase that's been used uh, pretty frequently over the last couple of years, time's up. And the Hollywood Foreign Press now has been forced into action because essentially uh, people are not putting up with their bullshit any longer. And it's another lesson, once again, in how the Hollywood studio system works and how it is built on an entire system where people have had to put up with a lot of crap over the years and have done nothing about it. And we just assume that this is the way that things should be and we and we carry on with our lives. But there are some people out there who are really genuinely trying to make this industry a better place for all. And there's a lot that's being discussed in regards to that right now. So you have Scarlett Johansson, who is uh, currently right now speaking up, saying that as an actor promoting a film, one is expected to participate in award season by attending press conferences as well as award shows. In the past, this has often meant facing sexist questions, remarks by certain HFPA members that border on sexual harassment. And it is the exact reason why I, for many years, refused to participate in their conferences. The HFPA is an organization that was legitimized by the likes of people like Harvey Weinstein to amass momentum for Academy recognition, and the industry followed suit. Unless there is necessary fundamental reform within the organization, I believe it is time that we take a step back from the HFPA and focus on the importance and strength of unity within our unions and the industry as a whole. We also have Mark Ruffalo commenting on this as well. He's saying that he cannot feel proud or happy about being a recipient of a Golden Globe and that now is the time to step up and right the wrongs of the past. You have Ted Sarandos, the chief content officer of Netflix, who is saying that he's going to cease all activities with the HFPA unless if substantial changes are made. You have Amazon Studios chief Jennifer Salke following in uh, with that as well, saying that they are going to do the exact same thing unless if the group changes. And what changes are they putting forth? Well, basically, there is a decision to have uh, an upcoming vote, which was agreed upon by everybody recently to essentially address its lack of diversity within the organization. Currently, the HFPA has no black members of any kind. And I believe there are 86 members in total. And they're going to be bringing on like a whole new, uh, you know, regime of people in terms of a new CEO, a chief diversity, equity and inclusion officer. They're going to be doing all these different changes all throughout their group. It sounds like window dressing to me. Because it is really. And, you know, what I find so interesting about the situation is, like you said, we have known that the Golden Globes are corrupt for you know, we've known this for many, many years. Like they make jokes about it at every single ceremony and we kind of laugh at it and brush it off. But I feel like we did not have a really full picture of the lack of diversity within this group until very recently. And I think that is really is what is going to 
cause a fundamental change with this organization. And I agree that I think that most of what they have offered is window dressing, like saying that they were basically going to invite enough black members to round up their total membership to 100. Well, it's like, okay, all right, but you that's still not great. That's still not great numbers because essentially it's just like 12 to 13% of your membership. And you're still going to have the same problems with the way that studios interact with how they get bought off very easily. And that's a big problem with this group. And I think that it's going to take the publicists and the studios and the talent themselves to really get involved. And I think that this is going to be the start of for the first time in a very long time, some necessary fundamental change with the Golden Globes. All right, I'm going to ask the hard question here. Do you, Josh Parham, want the Golden Globes to go away? Do you basically feel that they should be given a chance to enact these reforms? And if so, how long should we give them to do so before we say, hey, you know what? You could be doing better. I think we should just let's just can the whole thing. It's it's a difficult question because while I think that a lot of this stuff is sort of rotten to the core with this group, I do like the idea of it as a precursor. And I like the idea that we can get kind of offbeat choices sometimes and that this is the opportunity to see a bunch of these stars like in this party setting and we get good speeches like there's. Like cosmetically, there is stuff that I do appreciate about the Golden Globes and their placement within the season. But at the same time, there is definitely so many things that are wrong with them. And I I think that actually if push come to shove, it might be a situation where you you might have to have so much reform that it would have to look completely different and we might need to start over. I mean, I don't think that is going to happen because I think there's too much money involved, but we're going to need to see like something big and drastic. And to be honest, I don't know if they are willing to do that as an organization. The other thing I also question here is over the last couple of years, we have seen groups like the Critics Choice Awards, the Hollywood Critics Association, honor both film and television, continuing to rise up. And Josh, you and I both agree the Critics Choice don't put on necessarily the best televised award ceremony necessarily nothing like the globes at you know as much as i think that they want to be like the globes and granted i have no basis for that that's just my own perception of things uh but hollywood critics association also very very young in their infant stages really amassing quite a following and popularity and shows that they've put on with very very little uh backing behind the scenes have been really well received and quite extraordinary. I just attended the uh, last one this year and granted it was virtual, but I was still very impressed with the amount of talent that they were able to uh, acquire to come on board and the amount of press that they were able to get as a result of that. So I do think it is very possible that one of these two groups could, I mean, the Critics' Choice are already a stop on the precursor road, So maybe HCA really could replace the Golden Globes at some point. Maybe. Um, I think it would be weird to have like two prominent critics groups serve as like a major precursor. I don't know how. But isn't that what the Golden Globes are? They're critics, right? They're journalists, foreign journalists. Uh, Yeah, essentially. Yeah. I mean, the other problem, 
because with Hollywood critics, I just don't know. That's kind of region specific, isn't it? I, I do not. I do not know. I can't speak on that uh, behalf. I'm not a member or anything, so I, I don't know. My understanding is that it is, but I'm not 100 percent aware of that. Yeah. So I don't know how that would unfold. I mean, really what the Golden Globes have right now is history and they have like establishment within the season for a long time. And I'm sure that that is a big bargaining chip along with their contract with NBC. But I think that whether or not the network itself is going to continue is going to be a big sticking point going forward. Oh, I think that that is the key overall. Like all these other uh, studios and stars can say that they're not going to participate. The Golden Globes will still have their show and they'll just have a picture of them on the nominee screen for when they get to their category, like whether they're there or not. Uh, There are still going to be people who I do think show up to the actual ceremony in person at those tables for those reaction shots and so on and so forth. I don't think you're going to have a completely empty room necessarily. It could be very awkward to the point where it is significantly less. Uh, But I really do think a lot of it hinges on NBC and what they ultimately decide to do. Because otherwise, if you're not going to have the party and have everyone show up, uh, that's where NBC might then step in and say, hey, without stars present at our show, then we don't have a show. And if that's the case, you might as well just put out a press release then. Yeah, and it could very well happen. And... I am keeping an eye on the situation, obviously. You know, I don't really want to give the Critics' Choice too much more credit because I have issues with them as well. You know, they're not the same as the Golden Glows, but you've heard me talk extensively about some problems I have with that. Yes, I have. Organization too. <laughs> yeah. So it, it will be interesting to see where the chips fall going forward. And this could be a, an entire restructuring of Precursor Season, which on you know the one hand is sort of daunting but could be interesting to see play out and especially if we're still talking about the golden globes as a place that still has a lot of these issues going on it it might be for the best to see what else new comes around i'm I'm wondering like what is the solution here is the solution to increase the number that they're saying that they're going to add basically to account for more diversity or is it the timeline in terms of how long they've said this is going to take to happen because i find it very very hard to believe that there would be a lack of black foreign journalists out there i I mean maybe i'm being naive when i say that but shouldn't this be easy to fix like very quickly as opposed to a long timeline well that's the key is that are they really interested in fixing things or do they just want to invite you know sorry to say but some token black people into the fold and just be like hey look we have now solved it and i really think that there needs to be some very big changes like i don't really think that they should just invite a dozen new journalists in here i kind of almost feel like they need to maybe double their membership and have completely different leadership involved like those are steps to take that really show that as an or- as an organization they're willing to take the radical steps needed to fundamentally change themselves because right now it does feel like they're kind of doing the bare minimum and hoping that people will notice and they can go back to just you know going and talking with stars again and that obviously is not enough right now this is my own personal opinion here i think what they need to do is they need to strive for 50% diversity here 
not something that comes necessarily uh, right away. But if they lay out a plan saying we're going to add this many members this year, the following year, we're going to add this many members. And then they say, like, by year three or by year four, whatever it is, we'll be at that 50 percent based on these little milestones that we've set for ourselves along the way. You know, it's like you have realistic goals. You have accountability then that can be kept track of over time. But I also think that this isn't the like the academy, which has thousands of members that you're trying to invite every year. Like the Golden Globes, it's under 100 people. And as you said, Matt, I don't imagine that it would be that difficult to find foreign journalists who are black that you could easily invite into this organization that I'm almost confident have more qualifications than whoever is already in there. So like, yes, trying to expand your diversity initiative can seem daunting and difficult, but the amount of people that it would take to meet that requirement, I think would seem very doable for an organization that is as longstanding and as notable as the Golden Globes are. And it sort of to me feels like they just don't really want to do it. They're just kind of doing what they have to right now oh, for PR. I'm sure but, yeah. if they don't want to do it. I'm sure if they're only doing this because their backs are up against a wall, uh, up against the wall, and they face uh, complete extinction if they don't do it. So totally, they're in survival mode right now. But I do think that if they say, "Hey," instead of growing the membership uh, by fifty percent, if they say instead, "No, we're actually going to." actively try to receive uh actively try to achieve 50 percent diversity within the membership i mean that would involve <laughs> hiring a lot of new members by that point right because you have 86 currently with zero black journalists at this time which means you would have to hire 86 black journalists in order to achieve that 50 percent right yeah so I think that if that was the ultimate goal and they just laid out some very concrete uh, uh, steps within the timeline of how they're going to get there and not leave it vague and open to interpretation um, and then people can continuously hold them accountable to it. And they say, hey, this is going to be a long process. Feel free to hold us accountable to it during this entire process, because I do think on a long enough timeline, if you establish credibility, then people will be a bit more forgiving versus setting forth an impossible goal, which to your point, maybe not, maybe is not necessarily impossible to achieve, obviously. But when I say it's impossible is maybe the time frame. I, I think that like people want instant change and instant gratification right now. And I think if we hold the Golden Globes to that level of standard, I do think that they are destined to fail in that regard then. Well, this goes back to the notion that this is a group that has had problems for decades, you know, and, it might be a situation where it seems like maybe what people are asking for them is drastic and extreme, but considering how long they have gotten away with this behavior, like now is the time for extreme and drastic action. And if that means that they are going to struggle with that, I think that is very reflective on their priorities right now. Like, do they want to exist just because of the free gifts and because they can invite famous people to their party? Or do they really want to honor the best achievements in the year? You know, that's that's something that they're going to have that they're going to have to wrestle with going forward. And they don't have a lot of time to figure out where their answer is going to be. I mean, the mission statement in that regard should always be to honor the best in the year and do your jobs. 
<laughs> ultimately. Well, ideally, yes. Everything else is a byproduct of that. You know, you and I, Josh, we talk about this off air all the time. Yeah, it's nice that we get invited to screenings every now and then get a little something in the mail or something like that. That's all a byproduct of what the actual enjoyment and love for this comes from, which is doing what we're doing right now. Man, if we were just doing this and nothing was ever coming of it, I'd still be content and still be happy. So, yeah, I agree. Hollywood Foreign Press members need to really understand what their mission statement is here and what it is they exactly want to do, because what they've put for put forward right now, it isn't enough. It's still open to interpretation. It doesn't seem very concrete. And that is why we are seeing the reaction that we are seeing from people right now. And I really do think that. And if I'm looking at it from a standpoint of I really want to see them survive because I do want to keep the idea of the Golden Globes alive, a.k.a. a live show with celebrities present, getting drunk, etc., etc. It, it, et it has its own place within the award season, like you said, Josh. But if push comes to shove, I will admit I am open to seeing what an alternative looks like because it is something fresh it is something new and yeah there might be some bumps in the road considering that we're dealing with a lot of history that the golden globes have given us over the years in terms of their telecast but times are changing and people's tastes are changing the world is changing and a shake-up like this is something that you know I, I, I got to admit, Josh, maybe after listening to you there, I, I, I got to admit, I think I agree with you. Yeah, you've known about this for many, many years and you got too complacent. Well, now the hammer is being dropped. Yeah, I mean, like, look, as I said, I appreciate the history and the tradition of the Golden Globes and its placement within the award season. Like, I get excited about it like all the rest of us do who follow this stuff, but there are some things that are more important than that. And how this organization has behaved and how blatant it has been throughout the years, like there needs to be some accountability for that. And at the end of the day, if they're not willing to take the very necessary drastic actions that are going to be difficult to implement, but they need to figure out a way to do it, if they are just not interested in that, like, I'm sorry, but there's other stuff that we can watch. There's other narratives that we can create through an award season that does not include them. It will be kind of sad to lose it just based on the history, but if it's necessary to do so, we will be able to do it. And they need to understand that as well. Yeah, I guess you're right. You know, I go back and forth on it because it's like, I don't want to lose that tradition, but at the same time, you know, you make a great point and I have to agree with you. There are bigger things happening here than what they've been doing over the last couple of years and the benefits that they've reaped because of that. So yeah, they got to do something and hopefully they will, you know, like I'm sort of with you, man. I, I would be sad to see it go completely because they have given us even just some great moments and speeches and, and parts of their telecast have been very entertaining. Like I would be sad to lose it, but at the same time, I want to make sure that going forward, they're in a much better place in terms of where they are ethically and morally. And if they can't get there, then I will just have to lose it and we'll just have to deal with that. Yeah, exactly. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. 
We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th-century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th-century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Okay, well, now we're going to move over from the award season over to the Cannes Film Festival, which, after the announcement that Annette would be playing there, starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard, we now get another film announcement for the festival, and oh my god, Josh, is it starting to feel like Cannes season? (laughs) Paul Verhoeven, his first film since the Academy Award-nominated L with his newest film, Benedetta, starring Virgin Efira and Charlotte Rampling. We got a trailer for this one this week. Very excited to talk about this. Let's take a look. Benedetta. Vous me trouvez trop prompt à croire à ce miracle Je pense que vous n'y croyez pas du tout. Prenez-moi Prenez-moi Tu t'appelles comment Sœur Benedetta et toi Bartholoméa. <rire> Je vais y tomber. Sœur Benedetta C'est Dieu qui a placé cette jeune fille sur ton chemin. Mais il faut qu'elle soit dirigée d'une main de fer que je n'aime pas. Dieu te guidera. Bartholoméa a-t-elle fait quelque chose qui vous est fâché Non. Avez-vous de l'affection pour elle Ce qui se passe ici est un blasphème. Ce qui compte, elle le savent déjà. Si cette sœur est coupable du blasphème dont vous l'accusez, elle ira au budget. Mais des accusations extraordinaires exigent des preuves extraordinaires. Je ne sais pas comment Dieu fait arriver les choses. Je sais seulement qu'il accomplit sa volonté à travers moi. Tu dois faire des aveux complets. Sacrilège Renonce à ta vanité. À vous On ne comprend pas toujours les instruments de Dieu. 
Peut-être a-t-il mis Benedetta en transe, ou bien Dieu nous a envoyé une folle qui débite des sottises pour servir ses desseins. Hmm. Rather interesting. <laughs> Rather. Rather, you say. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, this is... <laughs> This almost reminded me of not this very not the very specific Kerry Mulligan SNL skit that they just put out recently, parroting films like Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Ammonite, but this really did feel like its own parody skit unto itself of what exactly people think of when they think of a Paul Verhoeven film, you know? <laughs> yep. And Verhoeven, man, he is a he's an interesting one for sure. Uh, and I'm gonna be honest, like his movies, especially lately, are another kind of group that's like hit or miss sometimes. Like, I'll be honest, I didn't really like L all that much. I, I thought Huppert was great in it, but the movie itself, I didn't think he was necessarily the right director for that material. But yeah, similar. Yeah, he's still fascinating as a filmmaker. And I would be lying if I said I wasn't completely intrigued by this movie. And I will definitely be seeing it regardless of what I may add actually end up feeling about the movie afterwards yeah i mean you look at this guy's filmography robocop total recall basic instinct showgirls starship troopers and then it's like we have this very weird stretch here of hollow man black book tricked and then l like really did bring him back into the spotlight all over again and then we have benedetta here (laughs) which I think really is definitely harping on the basic instinct show girls L crowd in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also interested to sort of see a tone similar to something like the devils. I'm mainly fascinated by that because, <laughs> Oh, I, I immediately got um, novitiate vibes from this. Actually only I was like, Oh, mm. it's just not in English. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of potential here for sure. I still, for me personally, I'm going to walk in a little bit guarded just because you never know what Verhoeven you're going to really get (laughs) these days. But I am very fascinated by what's going on, especially in this trailer. So, yeah, I can't wait to see it. I mean, visually, I'm very intrigued because this actually looks from a purely visual standpoint, like one of his most beautiful looking films to date. So that looks really great. I'm also really excited, as always, to see Charlotte Rampling in anything that she does. Um, uh, Virginie uh, Ephira. I, I, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing her name correctly, but I'm hoping that this can be uh, some sort of a I don't want to say breakout because she has been around for a bit. She's been nominated for a few uh, Cesar Awards for Best Actress. So, you know, it's not like she's someone that people don't necessarily uh, recognize. She was in a film last year called uh, Sybil, which also played at Cannes and also at the uh, New York Film Festival, which we reviewed on the site. So she's been around, but my hope is that this can bring maybe an additional layer of exposure uh, for her, where it's like, this isn't really a breakout role, but glad to know that U.S. audiences are finally understanding who she is. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be a breakout role to the U.S. crowd, mostly. Yeah, probably in that regard. But otherwise, I like I said, watching this trailer, it almost does feel like a parody sketch at times of what a lesbian nun romance film would look like directed by Paul Verhoeven. So in that regard, um, 
I'm kind of excited to see it just to see if Paul uh, really understands his audience and can really play into that. Or is it going to be something that elicits a lot of outrage and is going to be totally misguided and really not all that well constructed and kind of all over the place, really? But even then, you know, it's like you look at something like Showgirls, which just has had this like, you know, renewed popularity and like a cult like following over the years where People think that despite that film's flaws, they still love it. And, it, you know, it, it's it's really just brought about all this conversation. And I think that's the thing I'm just like really most looking forward to here is the kind of conversation that the film will inspire in people. Yeah, I mean, even Elle did that, you know, a movie that I don't think is like universally liked. And no, no, at not least for at all. me, you know, I like I said, I'm not a big fan of that movie, but it does inspire conversation. And I feel like for the longest time his movies just really weren't doing that that much. So I'm hoping for that at least like this new one could be a hot mess and I'm kind of even expecting it to be a hot mess (laughs) in some regard, but I am interested to see what like the themes that it will touch on are and what the dialogue around the movie is going to be. I'm very much looking forward to that. Now, who do you think would win in a fight? The snake in the trailer for Benedetta or the fox in the trailer for the green Knight? Oh man. Uh, I I think I still have to say the fox. <laughs> I think I might have to go with that snake, man. That was terrifying. Indiana Jones was shaking in his boots when he saw that one. <laughs> yeah, but the foxes foxes are clever, you know. You'd be able to f- find a way to to defeat it. Yeah. Well, very much, very much, very much looking forward to seeing this one. I will not be attending Cannes this year. Uh, sadly, uh, we are looking to send uh, someone over here at Next Best Picture on our behalf over to the festival, so hopefully they will get a chance to see it. Uh, but of course, this is a film that I am pretty confident will play at the subsequent festivals throughout the season uh, following its release at Cannes later on this summer. So much to look forward to over there. Now we are going to move over to the polls for last week. Hello, Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast here. So you're listening to a podcast that you love right now. Chances are I love it too. In the independent podcast community, we all support each other, which is why you're currently hearing this promo. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about my show in the hopes that maybe you'll check it out. I welcome a different co-host each week, usually other podcasters, friends of mine, or random folks from the entertainment industry. Together, we count down our top five favorite things for whatever that week's topic is. It's often centered around music, movies, TV, and pop culture. We have over 250 episodes spanning nearly five years of programming, so there's bound to be something on our feed that's just for you. We release new episodes of Two Peas every Wednesday. For links to all of our content and to subscribe via your favorite podcast app, just go to our website. It's www.twopeasonapod.com. We can't wait to welcome you to the party. It was a very, very exciting week for us. We had a new Best Picture winner in Nomadland. So I asked everyone, hey, like, where does Nomadland fall for you within the last 25 years of Best Picture winners? So that question brought about the following. What has been your favorite Best Picture winner over the last 25 years? And I told people that they could choose up to five. So, Josh, what are some for you that really stand out here? We're going all the way back to The English Patient up until Nomadland. So what are ones that uh, for you really were special? Well, I think for me, the top one, my favorite of the last 25 years is still Moonlight. Um, 
just because not only that I love that movie, but I still find it to be sort of a miracle that it actually won. And I feel like the people who made that movie feel like it's a miracle, too, that they can kind of can't believe it just the way that that even happened. So, um, yeah, that's such a special movie to me. And I'm sort of glad that it got that recognition. Um, obviously, Parasite also loved that. 12 Years a Slave is also great, too. Um, if I'm thinking about anything earlier, I... I do love Titanic with everybody else. I think as I've gotten older, I've actually appreciated that movie more and more just as just a great piece of cinema that fires on all cylinders. And while there are more like quote unquote important movies out there, I think Titanic is like really sort of perfect in terms of how it can just entertain every single person on the planet. And I think that it is very deserving of a best picture win. And I decided to keep this very, very easy where I just pretty much replied saying, hey, I'm going to go with what films were my number ones in their respective years and one best picture, which has happened for me quite often, uh, surprisingly. So Parasite, definitely. Lord of the Rings Return to King, obviously. Come on. <laughs> no Country for Old Men was another one, uh, which was shocking to me because the first time I saw it, I really wasn't that big of a fan of it, but a second viewing shot it all the way up to number one, and it just had that staying power for me. Uh, what's another one that also was a number one for me? Uh, 12 Years a Slave was a number one. Yeah. Really, really loved the film a lot. The Hurt Locker was a number one. Hmm. That was my favorite my favorite film of 2009. And I think that's it. I think, the, I think those are all of my... Oh, Slumdog Millionaire, too, actually, um, which I would like to rewatch that to see if it still stays at number one. But yeah, I, I, I adored that film when it came out in 2008. I would recommend rewatching that because I rewatched that not too long ago, too, and I still liked it, but it was a lot more flawed than I remembered it being. Ooh, OK, I'll have to do that then. All right, let's see what the MVP film community voted on here. We'll do a top 10. Although I am very curious to see what came in at the very, very bottom. Hold on. I mean, I think we know what came in at the bottom. <laughs> crash. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, crash. It was one or two options, and I'm guessing the other one is the second from the bottom. You are correct, sir. Yeah. It is Green Book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Well, number 10 is 12 Years a Slave. Great. Can't wait to talk about that one. Come oh, up. man, for our 2013 retrospective, which we just kicked off recently with Captain, Captain Phillips. Yeah, you are right, sir. I cannot wait to revisit that. Gravity. So many movies. Yeah. Number nine. Spotlight. Okay. I mean, that's a really solid movie, and I'm sort of glad that there are still people who have passion for it. Yeah. A part of me wonders... <sighs> I never understood like why that film was V1 necessarily because I too think it's like not like an extraordinarily made film. It's a well-made film. Like you said, it's very solid, but nothing about it like stood out to me. And I always just assumed it was going to be that screenplay ensemble winner. And I always chalked up all of its best picture wins from the critics that season to be like, well, of course the journalists are going for it. It's a movie about journalism. And then when it actually won Best Picture, I think it was one of those films that really benefited from the preferential ballot of just being like the agreeable one. Oh, oh, yeah. I think that no film in this era has really 
been a better example of what the preferential ballot can help than Spotlight. Because that was the movie that even if you didn't necessarily love it, everything else that was in consideration had either like people really fawned over it or they really hated it. Spotlight was the only one where everybody could say, yeah, we all kind of like that movie. Yeah, totally. All right. Number eight, Chicago, which is another really good one. I do love Chicago. Yeah, me too. Which I don't know why, but whenever I say that, it really surprises people for some reason. Hmm. Interesting. I do like it, though. I really do. Yeah, it's great. I think that's a really, really great movie musical. Seven. Sorry, Josh, the trend is breaking here for you. But for me, it's continuing because I really like this film and I know you don't. Birdman. Well, I, I like it to a point. But most of what I like about it has nothing to do with what Inyarity was doing. So, but I respect that people do love it. So I, I'm I can deal with it. <laughs> Number six, a crowd pleaser through and through has a tremendous ton of rewatchability. I'm still to this day shocked that it is actually a Best Picture winner, and I kind of love it for that. The Departed. I mean, Scorsese. It's hard to take that away. I mean, that is to me one of those situations where. I think the best director win for Scorsese pulled that movie across the finish line, which is weird because normally I feel like it's the other way around where a movie is winning best picture and it pulls the director over. I feel like Scorsese's guaranteed win just had people saying like, well, we're giving it to Scorsese already. Might as well give it best picture too. Honestly, I feel like the same exact thing happened with Guillermo del Toro in The Shape of Water. Yeah, I can see that. Number five. As Sean Connery said, Titanic. (laughs) Great. Love it. Fantastic. One of the great epics ever made. Yeah. I I, I do not care that it is melodramatic. I do not care that the script is very pedestrian at times and it caters to the masses and it does not have any nuance whatsoever in its characterization, its plot mechanics, nothing. I do not care. It works. (laughs) Yeah, it really is like a perfect movie. For as many flaws as it does have, there is I can't imagine anybody that you could think of in your life that wouldn't find something enjoyable about that film. Number four, definitely at this point, the top four, I think we're like in the best, best, best picture winners of all time territory here. I mean, I I could even make the same argument for Titanic, to be honest with you. But number four is No Country for Old Men. Which is good. I have to admit, it is not my favorite movie of 2007. There's actually several I would put ahead of it, but I can't complain that much with the Coen brothers winning Best Picture. See, like that movie winning Best Picture to me is like the equivalent of the Silence of the Lambs winning, where it's just like it, it, you look at it on, pa- on paper and you're like, that that's not a Best Picture winner. That doesn't fit the mold of the classiness of the Best Picture prestige, you know what I mean? But then... It's one of those cases where just so many people thought it really was the best movie of the year. And as we've seen lately with the Academy, if they think it's the best, they're voting for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I can't complain that much, even if it's not my favorite movie of that year. Number three is a historic win for many reasons. Moonlight. Yeah, that is always going to go down as one of the best best picture winners. And because of its. because of the quality of the movie, but also just because it's at the center of maybe the most notable moment in the entire history of the Academy Awards being broadcast on television. And I want to take this moment to say for the record that 
when the Underground Railroad debuts on Amazon Prime, you all need to stop what you're doing in the moment and you need to watch that immediately because I am telling you all right now, that is a masterpiece of storytelling, whether it's film, television, a work of art in general. I really think that this might be Barry Jenkins' crowning achievement and I do not say that lightly. I think it's going to absolutely blow people away what he has done with this miniseries. Cannot wait. Number two. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Hard to argue. I know that you are very happy about that. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, I'm one of those people who does see Lord of the Rings as one movie. So I always take its combined Oscar wins from all three. And I kind of just look at it as, oh, I won Oscars in all these categories, you know, for the whole for the whole movie. Even if there were some repeats with the visual effects and things like that, I'm like, nope, nope, it won sound editing and sound mixing. And like, you know, even if it was for the different movies, I'm like, nope, nope, the whole thing just won all of these. <laughs> and we all know that Return of the King, that Best Picture win is representative of all three installments. Like, we all know that. Yeah. Yeah, because I think if you ask most people, Return of the King is not really... I, I, even I have to admit, I don't think Return of the King is the best film of the three at all. I mean, it it definitely works as an ending, but as like a standalone movie on its own, it does not work as well as the other two do, in my opinion, which is why I choose to see it as one, two and three is one whole. It's a three act structure. These three movies, you know? Yeah, and I'm sure that's how even back then they were voting on it as not necessarily like, is this the best movie of the year? I mean, I'm sure there were plenty of people that thought that, but this was an achievement to recognize all of the installments that they somehow couldn't have done with Fellowship or Two Towers. And we may never see anything like that ever again. I mean, because now whenever there's a sequel made for anything, it's always this whole franchise mentality behind it where Lord of the Rings, they set out to do this from the very, very beginning, which man, it's like, I I think about it all the time. Like what if fellowship of the ring was not a box office success? Like what if this didn't take off and they still had two towers and return of the King set to come? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine. And another thing that we'll never get to see again is a big sweeper like this. Yeah. Yeah. I think those days are done. (sighs) Sadly, I think so too. Although there's a weird part of me that wonders if when we go back to 10 Best Picture nominees next year, if that might change things. And I know that's kind of odd to say because it's such a minor change going from the uh, voting system that we currently have now, which produces anywhere from 5 to 10 to a straight 10. But considering that the last time that we did have a film that won more than five Oscars winning Best Picture was 2009 with The Hurt Locker, it makes me wonder is it possible that we might see a film win that many oscars again when we go back to a straight 10 see to me though it's hard to judge that because it was the first year of an expanded best picture lineup and you know they had already given eight oscars to slumdog millionaire the year before they were still sort of in the mood to overly reward movies like that i feel like the mentality has shifted i really do feel like we are in more of a spread the wealth kind of a voting system which i'm fine with like i actually like that more movies have the chance to win oscars and it is spread out a little bit more i think the rise of the internet created that yeah 
because now you have so many forms of advocacy outside of what is just being written in in the major trades and what happens on these uh, precursors like the Golden Globes and SAG right before the Oscars. And so a lot of voters are probably hearing a variety of opinions in so many different ways now, whether it be through Instagram or YouTube or Twitter. And they're considering more movies in their voting now than they previously did before. Which is a good thing, in my opinion. I agree. Number one, I mean, this this did not surprise me yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. Parasite. Of course it is. Yeah, you didn't even need to say it. We all knew there was going to be Parasite. <laughs> and a lot of people I've seen, I've seen a lot of people say like, oh, it's recency biasness that it continues to perform well in these polls or when we did our end of the uh, decade uh, awards and Parasite like cleaned up a lot in there as well. And I, I don't know. I, I think it goes beyond that. I really do think that Parasite has some really tremendous staying power and might be, I mean, clearly, I mean, <laughs> Duh. One of the most agreeable Best Picture winners like of all time that really got people so passionately excited for it. And it's so unique, too. That's the other thing. Like, there are a lot of great movies on this list, but, you know, a lot of them operate in very kind of traditional genres that are are great. But there is really nothing like Parasite. It is a very specific type of movie and you don't see that winning best picture very often and i think not only just of how good the movie is but what it represents for the oscars as well being the first movie um that was from uh international production to win best picture that is very significant as well yeah completely agreed all right so for this week we were supposed to talk about this topic in this week's show but being that it is Mother's Day, a lot of people had other plans. Just myself and Josh here. No offense, Josh. I think we've had a great show today. And I've really enjoyed speaking with you one-on-one -on -one like this, actually. <laughs> but for next week, we are going to be discussing which movies are you most looking forward to seeing in 2021. That is this week's poll. So we will be discussing this on next week's show. We will reveal the results of the poll as well. But Josh... Oscar movies, blockbusters, small indie films, you name it. What are you most looking forward to seeing in 2021 as we continue on with this year? Well, it goes without saying that my number one is obviously No Time to Die, a movie that I have been waiting for since, honestly, like November of 2019. So I'm hoping that I could finally get to see it. I've been very heartbroken whenever it is moved, but I'm putting my faith that I will finally get to see it this year. It's my number one without a doubt. I am going to do like a quick speed round really fast where I'm not going to go at length on any of this, but I'm going to just like boom, boom, boom it. So looking over uh, the list right now as is, and I'm not going to do this for every single title necessarily. Like I said, I want to be very, very quick, but just giving you all without any explanation or context whatsoever, some of my initial thoughts on this upcoming film year. Uh, here we go. Annette. I think it's going to be indie art house. I don't think it's going to be commercial despite the presence of Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard, and it being in English. Yeah, it's still Leo's Carex. <laughs> Black Widow, uh, fine. Like, I'm looking forward to it, but honestly, all of the Marvel films, including Eternals, I hate to say it, but, like, yes, I, 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 like, none of these have me excited. And that's the way I feel about, like, Marvel movies in general nowadays is that 
whenever they're introducing like a new character or a new story or a standalone that we haven't seen yet. Like, yeah, we've seen Black Widow in the other movie, so it's nothing new there, but it's a new standalone film. I can't be excited about it until I actually see it. I'm typically more excited for the sequel follow up that comes after. I mean, overall, I agree with you. And in fact, I'm probably even less of a Marvel enthusiast than you are. However, I do have to admit that the only one that does get me kind of excited is Eternals. I don't have high expectations for it, but considering the talent that is involved with that one, it is getting me more excited to see it than anything else they have that they're working on. Blonde. Well, yeah. Andrew Dominic. Enough said. Yeah, exactly. Come on, come on. Mike Mills. Enough said. Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> I mean, the name tit- the, the title alone but at the same time, uh, some of the casting has to be a little worried. Yeah, and also people have been telling me that it's just not a great show, too. So there's also that. Uh, Don't Look Up, Adam McKay's next film. That screenplay has been going around online. Yours truly has read it. Yours truly has an opinion about this movie based on the screenplay alone. And all I will say in regards to that is if you are not a fan of what Adam McKay has been doing lately with The Big Short and with Vice, then... This is going to just be more of that. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> uh, Dune, uh, my number one most anticipated film of the year. Can't wait. It's, it's, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> F9. I feel like I've been seeing ads for this movie forever. Just give it to me now, please. Uh, House of Gucci. A lot of people obviously want to hear us talk about this one. I let's let, all right. Let's just be real here. You never know what you're going to get with Ridley Scott. Yeah, and I think this movie will be bad. I mean, I think I'm just going to be honest. I do not think it's going to be good. I think we're having a lot of fun right now just looking at the behind the scenes and all that. But I really don't have faith that this is going to be a great film. Last Night in Soho, Edgar Wright. Boom. That's it. That's all I need right then. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Uh, Nightmare Alley, the new Guillermo del Toro, his follow up since uh, The Shape of Water. I have a feeling that it's going to be stylistically the same. I do not think it's going to have the same level of Oscar success that uh, Shape of Water had. No, I feel like it's going to be more like um, uh, what was the the horror thing he did with Crimson Peak? That was a Crimson Peak. Yeah, I, yeah. Was, I knew it was Crimson something. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be more something like that. I did just pre-order the uh, Criterion Blu-ray of the original, though. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to watching that before we see Guillermo del Toro's adaptation of that source material. Uh, what else we got here? Respect, new trailer, new stills, Jennifer Hudson. Even though it looks like it's biopic 101, I'm very much looking forward to seeing her in a showcase role like that. Yeah, I am not that interested in like these very traditional biopics. So that's what's sort of keeping me at arm's length, but I'm hoping it'll be good. Soggy Bottom, new PTA. As you said. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, that's it. That's it right there. But I do like this idea of him working with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh, son. Yeah, yeah. But like you said, new PTA, that's literally all I need to know. Yep, exactly. The Green Knight, another one, just been waiting for it forever. Just give it to yep. us now already, please. <laughs> Absolutely. This is already film Twitter's most anticipated movie. I mean, that meme of uh, KG from Uncut Gems where he's like, why the fuck would you show it to me if I can't have it? <laughs> Every time someone posts anything about the Green Knight, everyone comments with that image. It always cracks me up. Oh, man. The Last Duel, bringing back Ridley Scott again. I think that this movie, 
obviously has a lot of questionable aspects on paper, and I totally understand where people are coming from with it. I am very intrigued by it, though, still at the same time. Not necessarily saying it's going to be good. We've seen Adam Driver and Matt Damon in makeup and wardrobe, and it doesn't look good, in my opinion. But there's still something about this story that has me intrigued. Maybe it's because Ridley Scott's first movie was about dueling. Yeah, the dueling. I, I don't yeah. know if there's like some sort of like, you know, maybe career closure with him with this. I, I don't know what's going on there, you know? Yeah, that's one that I have even less hope in <laughs> than his other movie coming really? out this year. <laughs> yeah. I, well, as you said, there are some things about the story that I I don't know if I'm going to respond to all that well. But, you know, we'll we'll see. It's always a gamble with Ridley Scott. Yep. Uh, the Matrix 4, we're getting that this year. Very excited about that one. You know what I'm more excited about than anything with this, actually? I am more excited for film bros everywhere to discover that the Matrix movies are about trans people. Yep. And the outrage that that is going to ignite within people. Like, everyone's in for a very rude awakening <laughs> in that regard. And it's going to be amazing to watch them all melt down. I mean, did you see, did you see like, today people freaking out about seeing that American Psycho is uh, written and directed by women and like just film bros are just like going nuts. It's like, guys, like, uh, like your tears. I live for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that I'm also interested with this new Matrix is that uh, it's the director is just Lana Wachowski. So it's not the two of them on this one. So I'm also interested to see what that's going to look like. Well, we have a continuing theme here with the tragedy of Macbeth, Joel Cohen, no yeah. Ethan Cohen for this one. Yeah, maybe uh, also Oscar number four or technically Oscar number five. for. <laughs> and I'll leave it off with this one here. Uh, the Northman, Robert Eggers. Oh, man. I have a feeling, Josh. I have a feeling. I, I have a feeling that this is going to be more than just art house indie spirits level of recognition for him well i mean the amount of money that they're spending on this one along with the cast involved does make me feel like they're aiming for something a little bit more prestigious with this one and i have loved both of his previous movies so i'm very intrigued about this all right so head on over to the polls page nextbestpicture.com cast a vote there tell us which movies you are most looking forward to seeing in 2021 those are just some of the ones, there is a whole list listed there. And, of course, you could do a write-in option as well if one of your uh, movies is not listed. Okay, let's go over to fan questions now for this week. Let's see what the fans had to ask us. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is the Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week, we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. Uh, v underscore film underscore maniac. What film in the next awards season do you feel could be the This Had Oscar Buzz pick in a similar vein as something with Ammonite Hillbilly Elegy? Hmm. I mean, this is a shot in the dark, obviously. Yeah, because right now they're all 
kind of this had Oscar buzz titles. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> you know? I'll, pl- I'll I'll play it safe and maybe go with the two Ridley Scott films. Yeah, I. I do feel like something like House of Gucci in particular, I I am just like really not sold on this being a big thing. So I I think I'll say that. Connor underscore Olin, do you think Eternals is going to be a big awards contender? Marvel has gotten in Best Picture for Black Panther and Chloe Zhao is coming in hot after Nomadland. Yes, all things are true here. However, I am going to remain extremely skeptical about it being a best picture contender. Do I think it will be widely well received by people? Probably, but anything approaching the level of what Black Panther was able to achieve in that given film year um, is something that I I would not want to put anything up to that standard. No, I'm actually just going to say declaratively that no, it's not going to be a big Oscar player. I think that Black Panther was a very special circumstance for that movie where it wasn't just popular. That movie was a cultural phenomenon. Like it changed the way that we discuss movies now and what our reference points are. And I just don't really see that happening with Eternals. I think it'll be well-respected, but I don't think it's going to reach the heights of something like Black Panther. I think that is like kind of a once in a lifetime thing for them. At Jess Hartman 22, with the Oscar season being shortened and so many 2020 films moved to 2021, what Oscar category do you think will be the most competitive this year? I'm thinking visual effects or sound because so many blockbusters will be releasing this year. Yeah, I mean, visual effects is definitely the category that most of the movies that were supposed to come out last year kind of are now in this cycle. And I'd be very curious to see what makes that cut. I have to go with sound because we only have the one category now. And in a year of blockbusters, that's going to be brutal. Not to mention the musicals that we have. Yeah. And just like generally big prestige projects that sometimes sneak in there, too. Yep. Speaking of which, from at Film and Sports 21, do you believe this year will actually bring multiple musicals into the best picture conversation? My answer to that is no. There will only be one. Yeah. I mean, because what is there really vying for that spot besides in the heights and west side story i mean there are other musicals coming out obviously like dear evan hansen tick tick boom but i think it really does boil down to in the heights which has been seen and my thought process on that is that that film is going to peak too early and we'll get the guild nominations and the globe nominations but i do not think it's going to get a best picture nomination i'm saying that definitively right now i do not think that's going to happen And then with West Side Story, I remain extremely skeptical on that one, even though conventional wisdom says that we should not be skeptical of a Steven Spielberg film. But yet we're comparing this to a movie that won Best Picture, uh, 10 Oscars in total. I just I, I do not know how this is going to live up to that. I just I, I have a hard time seeing it. Yeah, I mean, I think that if it gets in West Side Story, it is just going to be because of the prestige of Spielberg. But that's a lot of history that it is going up against. Uh, This one comes from Jazz at Queer Film Nerd. What's a big contender everyone is considering for the Oscars next year that you think people are overestimating and the same with underestimating? Well, I, I do feel like... Whatever is going to happen with Netflix is going to be very interesting going forward, considering what just happened this last season. And I think that 
their slate is going to probably be a little bit more focused in terms of what's going to really produce some results. And I do think that uh, the McK- the Adam McKay film, I-, I have a feeling like that one might be a little bit on a cooler reception than we think it might be. I think that we are underestimating last night in so and Soho. Really? Yes. I think that he's at the right point in his career where he could achieve that level of award success that previously has eluded him. Mm. I mean, baby driver withstanding. Maybe. Yeah. You know, another one that I'm actually sort of keeping my eye on is King Richard. Yes. I have a feeling like that one is a really under the radar contender right now that I think has the potential to be really, really big. And then a title that we're overestimating for me, um, hmm. I mean, I mean, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but I'm going to say West Side Story again. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I apologize. Yeah. Um, but I want to just say really quickly, Bleecker Street picked up Mass this week, and that is a film that deserves awards recognition and should very much be in the conversation for acting for screenwriting hell i even think for picture and directing but i'm not going to get my hopes up this early necessarily uh but when i saw that bleaker street had picked it up i immediately felt my heart sink a little bit because they haven't had the best track record with award season success in recent years only getting best actor nominations for Viggo mortensen in captain fantastic and brian cranston for trumbo so not feeling all that good about this, but I think the power of this movie, and I've spoken to some people over there, they they know what they have with this. There is a first time for everything, and I am going to remain cautiously optimistic that they're able to carry it all the way through to at least some nominations. Yeah, we'll see. Like you said, that studio has not had the best of track records, but, you know, brave new world going forward. We'll see what happens. 10 nominees for Best Picture this year. Can't wait. Yeah. Interesting. Adam Clay. What was the worst award season? 2018 or 2020? Oh, I think it has to be 2018, right? Yeah, 2020 was long, but those nominees were freaking fantastic. Yeah, and it didn't end that well with the Oscars, I grant you, but there was nowhere near the level of toxicity that there was in 2018. No, 2018 nearly broke me. I have to tell you, like, I... I remember when that season ended, I, I breathed like the biggest sigh of relief that I've ever breathed in my life. Yeah, yeah, that that one was rough. Uh, this one comes from at Titus Joel Banks in celebration of Mother's Day. Which movie moms remind you of your mom? Oh, that's nice. That's a nice question. Um, Man, there's so many great movie moms out there because now I have to think about the ones that not only that I like, but actually remind me of my own mom. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I have an easy answer to this because I remember remarking uh, this when I saw it for the first time. And then I remember dragging my entire family to the movie theater to see it because I actually used this as a selling point to say, oh, mom is in this film. Like, you'll you'll know when you see it. Um, Laurie Metcalf and Lady Bird for mm-hmm. me. Like, that is my suburban mom <laughs> <laughs> who I love very dearly. <laughs> yeah. I think I am going to say, just in terms of like the energy and the aura that she gives off in this movie, uh, I'm going to say Sally Field in Steel Magnolias. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. I mean, Sally Field in general is like perfect mom energy, you know. (laughs) Totally. 
I definitely agree with you on that. Well, Josh, that'll do it here for this week on the Next Best Picture podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today on this Mother's Day. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 242 of the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us, including our 2013 retrospective, which just recently kicked off with Captain Phillips, is going to continue on this month with Philomena, The Wolf of Wall Street, and then all throughout the rest of the summer leading up until September, which is when the new award season will then kick in. And boom, we're right back into it all over again. Not much of a reprieve this year because of the extended season that we got last year. But I don't know. I kind of like that, actually. I don't want a longer season again, necessarily. But I do like that we are having uh, a shorter, you know, cool down period. Well, let's wait till we see what the movies are going to be first. Well, thank you all so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, I think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Right.